Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Okay, Joe, honest, honest uh, impression. What did you think of visiting me in Hudson Valley? It was really fun. I, I think it was really, really cool. I, I yeah. it was it was so interesting, like just hearing everything that when, you know, we were talking about it in the museum and just like constantly you were constantly up to me, updating me about stuff. And I finally got to see your cottage core living space and it's very very cool <laughs> and i and i really enjoyed it a lot i think the one thing i noticed when i went back home and i was like man there's a lot more sound here than i thought like noise pollution wise <laughs> i did appreciate all the wildlife too i thought that was very cool yeah i mean it was slightly unfortunate that i think most animals yeah, that we saw well, were dead on they the were... side of the road yeah yeah that was yeah, the sad i think part we, of saw, that. we saw the entire cast of over the hedge <laughs> Just like oh, no. all in a row, which was yeah. really weird and really sad. Like oh, an opossum God. followed by a skunk followed oh, by a raccoon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, they didn't make it, unfortunately. No, no. The one, <laughs> one of the few living animals, though, that we did see on the side of the road, that owl. Yeah. Or I, I you did, saw did the you owl. Did you see the owl? Or no, I was driving I, and I saw the owl. You you were driving. I was in the passenger seat, and then you you saw the owl, and then proceeded to scream, "Oh my god! Did you see the owl on the side of the road?" And I was like, <laughs> "What? What?" Oh, and you were it's like, like <laughs> "It's it was like at that point, I think the middle of the day, right? Yeah. And there's just this huge, huge owl standing on the side of the road. Uh, the the what whatever it's called. It sounds like a medicine, uh, Taconic State Parkway or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's just I, like, what's this owl doing? It? Like, well, it's just it, it's just watching us go by. Yeah. On the, it's just standing on the side of the road, and it's like owls are one of the few animals that really just stand there." Yeah, I mean, the thing that I, I thought was so funny, too, you're like, does he need help? Do you think he needs to know where to go? I was like, are we going to pull over? Does he need over? a lift? Where's he yeah, going? Where, where's this owl going? He I can't mean, hitchhike. He doesn't. He's well, thumbs. Well, I guess it depends if you want to uh, consider <laughs> the backwards facing talons that owls have mm. as thumbs. They okay. have. I guess that's true. Because the owls are actually zygodactyl, which means <laughs> that they have two backwards facing claws. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, yeah. So it, you know, I, I don't even. Th that's a very unsettling hitchhiking pose. I think. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think it would have been a step up in the adventure if we did somehow stop, pick up the hitchhiking owl, and then they proceeded to give us a quest. Uh, that was not furniture yes. related because I think by that point we were, we were furniture. <laughs> oh yeah, because you came up to visit me on vacation, <laughs> and I the first thing I did was put you to work helping me get furniture into my house. It was kind of great though. I mean, I was just happy to do anything at that point. It was all fun, <laughs> but I thought it was circumstantially it was very funny. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I man, that hitchhiking owl is gonna haunt me, and I'm just kind of mad you, I missed it. 
I mean, have have you or your family ever picked up a hitchhiker? It seems like something that no one in this decade does. Yeah. Yet I, I occasionally see hitchhikers. I, I don't know if I just do not run with the crowds of people who will pick up hitchhikers, uh, even though, you know, right. I, know my, I know my share of hippies. But I just it just seems like such a thing that we stopped doing as soon as we learned about serial killers. I like, think so. from, from the 70s and 80s onward. I just feel like no one wants to hitchhike. We all, no. you know, there, there were once once you learn about your Eileen Wernos's and uh, yeah. your Pee Wee Gaskins, you're just like, I I don't want to do this anymore. This once yeah. staple of uh, transient America. Yeah, I think that's that says it for me too. I'm kind of good not doing that. You've met my family; you kind of know what they're like. I, they are not. Mm. Let's pick up a hitchhiker kind of a vibe. We can barely <laughs> maintain it in the car as it is. Is hitchhiking a thing at all in Europe? I think it might be, but I think it's yeah. different. I think it's got kind of a different vibe to it because, like, my I have a friend that did that that hitchhiked to a concert, which means she just like. The way she explained it to me was just got a lift from a random family she encountered who also happened to be going that way and they just dropped her off. So like that does happen, but it's so it's kind of like shorter and different, you know, because I feel like in America you have these massive open roads as soon as you hit like somewhat out west or going east, depending on which way you're coming from. And it's just miles and miles of nothing. And in Europe, it's kind of like that depending on where you're at. But, you know. People tend to be a bit more like trusting and also just like, I don't know, they just make friends very easily. At least in Italy. I feel like also in Italy, everybody's just way too laid back to like think mm. about it for a split second. So I don't know. Yeah, but I guess it's, I, I mean, it's a little it's, different. It's one of those. It's one of those things like. um, Like Mexico notoriously uh, just does not. uh. They they supposedly do not have uh like serial killers in the way that the United States does. And they, you know, they look at it as an American problem, but you get the feeling that it's more because they don't investigate that kind of stuff, yeah. connecting murders together the way yeah. that the United States has, where I and and again, I don't like want to sound overly positive about American law enforcement. Uh, but one, one of the things out of necessity that has had to be done is, you know, having police departments across state lines and county lines talk to each other yeah, and compare notes. And then suddenly, as soon as we started doing that, we suddenly, you know, stopped having as many serial killers because you could, you know, you couldn't do what you used to be able to do, which was terrorize a town and then move on to the next one. And then the cops didn't talk to each other. Yeah. That means compare notes. It's it's crazy how recent that is. Because that's like, that's like, I I mean, uh, that, that's within our parents' lifetimes. Yeah. Yeah, like it's insane, you know, that they, that mm-hmm. that's new because it is kind of it's also why I'm isn't it like true that there would have been like a lot more serial killers way back when because they just went so unreported or at least that's theorized, let's say. It's, you don't actually it's know. so hard to say because uh, clearly like, you know, serial killers are very, very rare. And, you know, statistically, just because, you know, you have issues doesn't 
make you a serial killer. It's right. not a, it, it is, it is certainly overrepresented in media. That sure. being said, you know, it's, it's kind of the more interesting thing, which is why we report it in media. We kind of, we don't report that the sun goes up and down. Um, right. We got that down. We don't need to. Yeah. No, we figured <laughs> we that one that. out. Um, and, you know, we had to do a slight revision to it, you know, 500 years ago. Right. Uh, right. Uh, you know, where <laughs> regarding said son. Yeah. But the the thing about it is I'm not sure if. Uh, there just is this certain profile that people know to look for because mm. a lot of serial killers tend to be, or at least the ones that we've caught, tend to be people that are, you know, disturbed in some way, you know, haven't, and, and a lot of them not very intelligent. So there is sort of this idea that, well, we caught the dumb ones. Right. You know, there could, there could be more intelligent uh, ones out there. Uh, but, you know, then you also have to recognize, you know, this is not, you know, every, the, the, you, you've probably, the, the, the person you see walking the highway is not, you know, some vagabond serial killer, right. uh, you know, it's cause like, what did we even learn? Like we wanted that to be true with Henry Lee Lucas, or at least the Texas yeah. Rangers wanted that to be true. Yeah, and exactly. he made up. 99% of the stuff that, uh, you know, he said he did. Yeah. Um, so we, we always have to look at anything we study as sample size and, and who we are studying, you know, cause there's, there's been at this point, I think a lot of serial killers studied, but you have to also take into account the ones that are studied are the ones that were caught or the ones that that at least talked the ones that were right. willing to tell their stories after they got caught for like one specific murder. Cause that's usually like what happened with a lot of people. I mean, he's not, oh, yeah. he's not technically a serial killer. Um, cause he was a hitman. but Richard Kuklinski, you know, they, they got him for like one or two specific murders later in his life when he was kind of getting sloppy with the body disposal and then one day he just started talking and, you know, they made all those HBO documentaries about him and suddenly they're closing all of these cold cases. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I want to keep in mind that this stuff is so rare and, mm -hmm. you know, think about how the media has, has warped my perceptions of people that, you know, you just get an uneasy feeling about, you know, that can be your own prejudice. Um, but, you know, there, there is something about, like, the scary openness of rural America where yeah. you, you don't feel as inclined to trust people. And I mean, even less so if you're uh, not white, even less so, you know, if you're a woman, you know, there, there's all sorts of factors that, um, that, that can affect your experience of what you perceive as the freedom of the open road. Mm. Uh, you know, even, even in Florida there until recently being, you know, sundown towns for, uh, for, for black people and Jewish people. Like it's, uh, it can be hairy depending on where you go. Oh yeah. Um, so, uh, that's, 
all, all that being said, I've only attempted picking up a hitchhiker once. Okay. <laughs> huh. Interesting workaround, but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. How'd that go? So I was working at a summer camp at the time. I guess I would have been 22, 23. Okay. And maybe, maybe, you know what? No, maybe I was 21. Yeah. So I was working at a summer camp and um, <laughs> I was in a big uh, panel van with a bunch mm. of other counselors. You know, there were like five of us. And we would use this van to go in and out of town, um, then go up the Gallatin Valley to uh, work at the summer camp. But, you know, but yeah, we would use this van so that we could all pile into it and go in and out of town. And uh, one time we're driving and we pass by this guy who's hitchhiking, you mm-hmm. know, just kind of a, you know, little scraggly looking, but otherwise normal looking dude on the side of the road. Sure. And we we pull up and he takes a look at us in the van. And, you know, granted, I don't think we were that terrifying looking. Sure, there were more of us, but, you know, we're all a bunch of 20, early 20 somethings, but we were in a van. And he just kind of looked at us <laughs> and he was like, no, thanks. <laughs> so I have been rejected. Oh, by a oh my God. <laughs> Is that somehow worse? Oh, my God. Maybe he thought you guys were in a cult and was like, you know, no, in Montana, I don't wanna... in Montana, mm. that could be true. It could have turns right. out it turned out that we were like, you know, uh, members of uh, Our Lady Universal and Triumphant or whatever that cult is out in Livingston. Right. Yeah, I mean, it could have been. Who knows? But maybe they were like got a bad vibe off of you guys. You know, I guess so. I mean, we were in a panel van. We did work for a Christian summer camp. That uh, might not be. That's not stacking in your favor. So that Presbyterians, cult- Presbyterians, Joe. They're 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 loosey goosey Christians. I guess that's people. true. We do. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, that and is... as as uh, one of my friends who who was uh, who was queer and a Presbyterian, mm-hmm. uh, what as we would go into mm-hmm. uh, the church on occasion, she was always sure to remind me. You know, those windows are Tiffany windows. Hmm. That, that you... that's exactly what I said. <laughs> really? <laughs> like the exact? Hmm. Okay. Like you well, don't quite know how to like respond. One of those, well, it's one of those things that you say, "Oh yeah," and then. <laughs> And then later on, someone else <laughs> will also remark on something. And it's one of those facts that you just sort of forever have. And you know, whenever you drive past windows. it, you're like, you know, those windows are Tiffany. And then someone else is like, okay. But it's <laughs> just go, one of those facts that yeah. you, you just kind of have to share it. I guess I have that now, which means the next person is going to go, hmm. Every time I say, you know, those, those windows are Tiffany. Uh, you, that could day. you imagine if one day I do get you out to Bozeman and we drive past the Presbyterian church? Oh, and then we immediately have to go, hmm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's smart. You, Tiffany it, windows, happen. you say. Tiff- oh, Tiffany, huh? Yes. It will definitely happen at some point. The Mo- we're we're mm-hmm. gearing up for the Montana trip for sure. Oh, yeah. No, um, so many people to catch up with. Uh, obviously, friend of the show, Brad, uh, right. is out Absolutely. there. Gotta mm-hmm. go visit Brad. Definitely, I just I think it'll we'll, we'll have to report back for it and get some. Oh yeah, some the Glendive sure. uh, Creationist Museum. Oh my gosh, the live stream that'll be the move. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess as we plan for the future, we can also use the opportunity to, to then talk about the present, um, moving into what we'll be discussing today, which I feel like our whole, the whole, you know, intro to this, it all, it all works out. It's not just us ram- rambling about, you know, yeah, about hitchhiking stuff. owls. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that, I think, yeah. Well, cause like, I think the more, the difficulty would have been is if we picked up that owl, mm. we'd be like, where? And the owl would be like, <laughs> who? Danbury. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Oh my since... God, I can talk. Who? <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, where? Where? <laughs> <laughs> and it just becomes who's on first with this owl. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So so you having been up here kind of yeah. got an impression of the lay of the land. Oh, yeah. We had a great time, if we're being Very totally fun. honest. Uh, it fun. was it was a much needed vacation, I think, for everybody involved. Absolutely. Um, and so we got to drive around Hudson Valley a little bit, a place we where did. Yeah. I'm just moving into getting acclimated to. Uh, you hadn't had really much of any experience with it except maybe driving by it certainly not pretty much close to the river it sounds like yeah we Um, mostly just drove right by it yeah and one of the things we we kind of wanted to see if there was something that we could talk about that relates to hudson valley something that might come into our purview uh i was vaguely aware of the hudson valley ufo sightings that happened in the 90s and there are actually some people i've run into that know about it which maybe i'll have to uh interview them a little bit in mm, the future for sure um but there there isn't that much to talk about with them there's been bigfoot sightings uh out here there's a conspiracy theory that even though mountain lions are locally extinct the uh the government occasionally releases them <laughs> out here without one. telling them people yeah you saw that I there's did. like a two-headed trout like, oh yeah, the fish. Yeah, it's yeah, a, but it's got, a, but it's named Sue. Yeah, what's up with that? The names. <laughs> I will say this: New York State, your the cryptid names are not great. Wampus I mean, cat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but like, what is the 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 um the Lake Champlain sea monster? Champ. Champ. Come on. Yeah, that's not good. It's not great. It's obvious. Make it more fun. I feel like that's well, a bit I'm too just you know I'm just really glad that Joe Biden named his dog after the Lake Champlain <laughs> uh, monster. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe he's a fan. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I I just it's like none of them are fun. You know, they're not that yeah, intriguing. they they don't even have sort of the even for the ones that aren't super like pro- prolific in their sightings, they don't have the frenetic uh weirdness of a good florida cryptid no not quite as unhinged it's a lot more ghost story slash people making up things in new york i found Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah but you know it's the hudson river valley like you know there's been it's still you know a pretty big wilderness area with a lot of history but like most things in the northeast the um the the uncanny weirdness seems to be more associated with ghosts than with animals like it seems to be yeah. when you go further south and west 
I yeah, I think so. And we'll have to touch on this maybe when we finally talk about that area during mm-hmm. like you know pre-revolution and post but i think yeah. it has a lot to do with what happened up there yeah even before that time and then sort of the conquering of the world wilderness but because i do think it's like it is a completely different feeling being in the northeast and then going like out west or even into the desert and you're just like this is not it's not the same like you can see someone definitely coming up with these stories or like running into a cryptid and honestly it having a lot more believability but that was one of the things i was so surprised about that there aren't a lot of these stories in upstate New York because it is a very open place. And the further north right, you go, yeah, the crazier it, it gets. But it's not like you have to go that far south to start getting Mothman, at least. Yeah, exactly. It's like one other state. I think it's just past New Jersey and you're good to go. Yeah, and all all we get up here is Bigfoot, which everyone has Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, besides Hawaii. Yeah, Hawaii and, like, Delaware. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 it is Delaware, too. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, he's trying to, they're trying to pay taxes, so. Yeah, Delaware, I mean, Delaware stopped that God, way. like, imagine, like, even, like, being able to see a Bigfoot in Rhode Island. I mean, yeah. I guess no one really wants to go to Delaware, including Bigfoot. <laughs> well, it, well, you know, they don't have an international airport, so it's really They don't, hard. they have to fly to the other <laughs> There's state. no, there's no, com- that, I thought that was so interesting. There's no commercial airport in Delaware because the entire state is so close yeah, to it's, Pennsylvania. It's closer to Philly. The Philly That's airport's why there's no right there. there. That's why yeah, Bigfoot they just go to Philly. get to Delaware. <laughs> there's no airport. They can't fly. <laughs> I guess Mothman can, but other than that, oh my mm-hmm. God. But yeah, I mean, I think the one the story that you've picked out for us today, Zan, to have on tour here, I think is a very good encapsulation yeah. of the vibe of upstate New York and also sort of reflecting our journey on vacation yeah. and what we were doing most of the time. Besides maybe, well, maybe we yes. have a little bit of an advantage. Be, be, but. Yes, because while we were on our journey, we were unknowingly in the territory of another journeyman of mm. the American Northeast, you know, a pivotal figure <laughs> of... The culture of the yeah. free spiritedness, uh, and and the 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 romantic sublime mm-hmm. struggle of man against nature against himself, uh, and that is the Leatherman. Mm. Now, when you go to New York and Connecticut today, the Leatherman is probably just a a shop where you can buy black <laughs> harnesses, right, uh, or multi-tools which i do own a leather man actually right i i don't this this is something that is very hard to research yes it is not (laughs) the first thing you get leather when you type in leather man on google you will get the tool that shows or the (laughs) multi-tool i should say uh so it does get a little so you have to type in the leather man vagabond and then you'll get the story. That yeah, really I like how that it. that's even on its Wikipedia page. That's even the epithet it has to have. <laughs> yeah, Leatherman in parentheses Vagabond, just in yes. case you didn't know. Um, yeah. Uh, now, had I ever told you how I first heard about this? I don't think so, actually. Yeah, it was very random. It was on, I think, the Flophouse podcast. Okay. Um, It was not an episode, because obviously they they do podcasts about bad movies, so they obviously were not talking about The Leatherman, but one of them was talking about um, a documentary they saw about him uh, Uh. that someone was shown in school because they grew up in Connecticut. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes. Imagine that. That's your history class. Yeah. 
I think the thing about the Leatherman is it speaks to, um, in the pre-national news era, uh, <laughs> just the, I, I, I think the fact that this is a story at all speaks to local interest stuff that still exists, but like there's signs and designated landmarks about this. And it is an extremely niche thing. Uh, and, and it doesn't even almost seem like something worth reporting on. And yet people have put, people are very passionate about this. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I also want to just one caveat before we go further. Um, this is not making fun of, this this mm-hmm. obviously troubled homeless man. Right. This right, right. is it more of the hilarity of how intensely some people have researched this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's and, it, and the the idea that you can kind of just picture these uh southeastern New York towns and western Connecticut towns that just kind of Nothing else was going on. <laughs> local local leatherman expert. I uh, hate to say, yes. <laughs> because it's such a, it's such a that title. was a like, job you could have had. Exactly, that was a job you could have had back in the day. You could have been the local, local leatherman leather- expert. Exactly. You could, as we, there were people that wrote multiple books about him. I mean, I don't know how much there is to write about without just being speculation, but it is. Yeah, I also want to double down on that. That it's not. It, it's really not about us laughing or teasing about his story because it's actually incredibly interesting and i think is you know this this freeing sense that we'll get to it is the fact that this is like major news and conspiracy in a lot of people's worlds and that part of it is kind of ridiculous yeah because i mean there was um i don't know there's there's something about this type of thing too this phenomenon um and in I, I don't know if we get it as often in the modern day because things tend to get overexposed really easily, even local flavor and stuff, you know? It's yeah. like, um, it, in, in, I think I've, I've talked about this before, but Flip Flop Man in Florida, <laughs> have you ever uh, talked about him? I, I vaguely remember. But... Flip Flop Man was a guy who would run scab in That's many right. marathons all over Tampa Bay area. Scab meaning that he didn't pay for a number. He was just running the marathon for free, but he would run really fast in flip flops. That is impressive. Yeah. He had a long beard when he was getting older. He got a cane. Sometimes if it was cold out, he would be wearing a black trash bag. Okay. Yeah. Huh? Um, one thing I've I have heard about was in Milwaukee was the Milverine. Oh, who was just this guy who would walk around shirtless and and in jeans and would just walk for miles and miles, like looking really intense, like with his hmm. fists, you know. And he just like he looked kind of like Wolverine walking, like with hmm. the you know shirtless and in jeans with the claws out. Okay, um, interesting, and. You know, that he was like on the local news eventually and stuff. Uh, but huh. for a while, it was like this thing of, and, and, you know, just basically an inside joke for people that lived in Milwaukee. Right, right. Huh. I'll have to ask about yeah. that. Now I'm curious. So the Leatherman. Um, right. This was a phenomenon. Uh, a, a The man, the myth, the legend, the Leatherman. 
Um, this is uh, going on in uh, a bunch of towns uh, throughout uh, kind of rural Connecticut and Hudson Valley area in the late 1800s. He's first sighted in 1857 because, uh, you know, the Civil War hadn't happened yet, so there wasn't really much, you know, going on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so basically, what what's reported is there's is this vagabond, which mm-hmm. I, would would have I guess been the term at the time, uh, who was seen going from town to town, and uh, people started to notice that they would see him pretty frequently, uh, and very regularly. Yeah. Um, and people started to put it together town to town that they were all seeing this man. Now, he was called the Leather Man because he wore a 60-pound outfit made out of leather. Yes. Yeah, yes. it is quite the look. And I think it is quite funny that we were just talking about, like, our leather products and what kind of boots <laughs> we wanted to own. And meanwhile, this is the look we can Are, are we destined to become Leather Men? I don't like the smell of leather enough to have my entire like wardrobe out. Oh of yeah, it. and then imagine you're out in the woods, it's all wet. Ugh, yeah, no. I don't yeah. think so. I could see you yeah. pulling it off though. You no. know, maybe. I pre- but do you I really want that? It, but yeah, do you want that much skin on you? Must to it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to smell not great. Yeah. But you know, everything is made out of leather. His jacket, his hat, um I think his scarf was too. Yeah, his scarf was made out of leather. He carried around a leather bag filled with leather. Yes. Um, <laughs> no linens. Oh, yeah. Yes, leather. Well, yeah, uh, of you course. Know, everything is leather. Everything is, you know, scraps of leather. Uh, and a lot of it was like made of the uppers of shoes. Oh. So like, yeah. So like. You know, who knows where he was getting a lot of it from, but, it, you know, it might it seems like maybe like worn out shoes. He was taking the uppers and fashioning them uh, into hmm. a more leather yardage. OK, um, makes sense. And, you know, you can see he's kind of his outfit is kind of like a, a patchwork quilt of right. different scraps of leather. But this would have been very heavy. But, you know, to kind of keep you warm in the northeast uh of the United States back then, you know, this is probably uh, a survival tactic. Uh, he never spoke. Um, he spoke, he was reported to speak in grunts and occasionally a little bit of French. He would say, you know, we oui, for, for yes. Right. Um, I also suspect maybe those people did not understand French and maybe we're just describing it as grunting. Yeah. Cause isn't it believed that he is, either from like French nor like like French Canada or Quebec or is actually from France. I know that's one of the possibilities that we'll it get to like that a- in a moment. Okay, because I, I don't know how legitimate well, it is. I think most likely considering where he is, you know, being the eastern United States, I say it's much more likely he's yeah. he's Quebecois. He's or right. some, some Francophone Canadian. Right, right. Just that just wandered down south. Um so, but this route that he's taking, uh, it is a 365-mile circuit that he is making. Yeah. And he is doing it every 34 to 36 days. 
So, nice. yeah, this is this is a crazy distance. But the farmers that would see him go by were said, you know, th- they would say to each other, oh, yeah, you can set your watch to the leather. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Like he would literally show up exactly at the same time every single time. You know, it was kind of mm-hmm. amazing in that way. Yeah. I mean, 30, 34 days. I mean, so almost almost once a month you're seeing the leather man. Wow. Yeah, he he's moving. Um, yeah, I'm I I can only imagine in an entirely leather outfit the chafing. Oh god, that's got to be awful. Yeah. So he's living uh, in huts in the woods uh and also caves. These right. caves to this day are called Leatherman caves Great in name. this region. Makes perfect sense. Um he so he you know presumably uh, was born around 1839 uh and uh died in 1889 but he was able to get enough resources that he even survived the blizzard of 88 which was a very infamous uh blizzard that shut down a lot of the northeast of the United States I think something like 400 people died um, you know, it just it brought New York to a standstill. Do, does any I, I mean, I guess your family wasn't here yet. But like, do you ever hear people talk about this? Is that is that still an infamous event in the Northeast? Or has is I've it a never, little too far? I think back it might memory. I feel like I've heard about it from like the town or like in general, yeah. like like high school stuff. But I don't remember it like family wise. I don't know if. I don't know if any of my family was here yet. I mean, maybe my dad's side, but, you know, God knows in terms of any of them even remember. Right. I mean, because 88, that would have been. That was was before my grandfather was born. Yeah, I don't don't even know if mine. I think mine would have still been in Naples. So just to give a (laughs) like the American side of my family. Yeah, they're not worried about blizzards. No, they're worried about the mafia. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, ah, what a time. So one of the one of the things that uh, people would do, though, is they as they came to expect him, he kind of was just sort of seen as this benign presence. Um, women were said to leave things out like pies for him mm-hmm. uh, as he passed through towns. He would never go directly into town. He was kind of on the outskirts. Um, people would bolt their doors and kind of watch him go by, but he was said to never be, uh, you know, uh, confrontational or violent. He never wanted to go into people's homes, uh, but right. he would accept the food as he as he did his rounds, as he did his circuit. People, you know, would feed him, and he was this this sort of novelty of these communities, of these small towns in Connecticut and New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Actually, the blizzard of 88 was one of the only times he was ever reported uh, to be brought inside. Uh, but he, it was very difficult to convince him to come inside. Oh, wow. It was seen at one point that he seemed to have uh, some sort of uh, disease on his face. Uh, and it was discovered he had mouth cancer. He was brought to the Humane Society of Connecticut uh, you know, to try and uh, help him, but they were only really able to hold him for an hour before he mm. left. 
and this was in uh, 1888, and he would die uh, about a year later from mouth cancer, from probably from chewing tobacco mm. uh, in 1889. Presume no one knows exactly when he was born, but it's assumed he was about 49 to 50 years old. Wow. Okay, so he's kind of young. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. And I, I mean, mean I guess back then for being outdoorsy, that's not. Eh, yeah, that's, that's not really an awful life expectancy, but we don't really know what he was doing uh, until then, you know, but right. we have to assume since he's cited first in 1857 hmm. uh, that he, you know, spent a little more at the very least uh, 40, 40 years and change uh, roaming uh, around these uh less developed areas of the northeast wow yeah it is kind of wild that he just sort of shows up um yeah and then also just that i think i think one of the fascinating points when doing research for this topic and the story even though it's not necessarily a super lengthy one is the fact that people started to like him a lot like he became a part of the communities even though he was this nomadic traveler that really didn't interact too much on the like you know going inside doing things talking with people he just sort of was there on the periphery but what he wasn't ignored either right but i I mean in in this time period it was slightly more normal to travel like this i mean this is this isn't even though this is the late 1800s they're they're not sort of out of that that era in some parts of America, at least, of just sort of the walking highways, uh, you know, the highway yeah, man sure. type type things. You know, it there, there's not there's not a ton of cars uh, until right. you know, way later. I I just think it seems like the type of thing that um, there's certain aspects of this that would have been slightly more acceptable. I think the interesting thing is that you know these small towns people. Uh, took kind of this interest in him and wanted to take care of him in a certain sense, but also, uh, you know, we're, we're still a little standoffish because they couldn't communicate with him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think that's definitely part of it. But I, I also think, like, to your point about that, walking was more common for travelers and people going to and from somewhere, absolutely, because you either had mm-hmm. to have a horse or you really weren't going anywhere or by... um you know, renting a cart or something. But I think the difference here is, though, he does kind of fall into the vagabond tramp type category of what people would describe him as. And I think that's where things get a little interesting because this is also the time that that's not exactly welcomed, even though it is common. You know, it happens, I think, a lot more than we get a little bit today, right. or at least the, the romantic side of it, let's say, that sort yeah. of look. But I think one of the things was interesting upon, you know, doing the research and reading a bit into his story and then falling on this rabbit hole of laws and such that's mm-hmm. happening at the same time is that, you know, in 1879, New York State passes the, anti, the anti-tramp law, which essentially, it, you know, affects this type of lifestyle of just wandering to and from towns and either begging or not begging, depending but mm-hmm. the fact that he, it seems like a lot of those towns exempted him from this because they were attached to him in that way. That he, right. you know, they were like, no, you're fine. Don't worry. This doesn't affect you. 
So, and he was like, didn't really get affected by it. Now, this also could be for the fact that he just didn't demand anything or like try to cause problems, yeah. I guess. But at the same time, it is still falling into these categories um, because, you know, that's something that I didn't really realize was a huge part of um, a lot of the laws set up in America at the time. But mm-hmm. then also going back all the way to England. Do you know anything about this before I like jump right into it or? I, I know a little about bit a about this. I mean, because, you know, back in, you know, in the United States, we have a very, very strong idea of um, personal and private property that, uh, you know, j- just the idea, be- because there are so many people out there just trying to make a buck off of you. Yeah. People are very protective of, uh, things they perceive as theirs. The the idea always being that, you know, I'm I've got this little area that I can stake claim to and I am I am the ruler of this area. Yeah. You know, yeah. And everyone who came before me and after me be damned. This is mm. this is my uh my thing, my dominion. Um and I and I, I will be very protective of this. I mean, anyone that's been out west on ranch land knows that if you wander onto the wrong property, you are inviting being shot at. Oh, yeah. You know, no, and, sure. and I mean, people take a real, uh, you know, uh, especially with the, the idea of poachers and everything. Going back into Europe, um, it you know, it's it's different when things were when there was kingdoms and stuff. And, you know, the, the king could have an area that was for his hunting for him to take from, you know, this was the, the idea of poaching, you know, the idea that you could be a criminal for trying to feed yourself from something from what was the king's land. Um, but there were, certain ideas that if you were in your own country you had right to roam which is something to to an extent they still have today in uh britain right to roam uh the the expectation being that if you pass a fence uh you close it after yourself that being you know sort of the main rule um mm. but we don't really have that in the United States, uh, widespread at least, because it would be difficult to get so many people on board with something like that over such a huge area. Um, one of the things, though, that was happening as England industrialized the British Isles was they did away with a lot of sort of these small transient communities that could move around uh and sort of basically combed out these estates uh you know saying like hey someone owns this land you guys need to go into town and get a real job you know you need to be working in a factory and that happened across a lot of europe and i think as as the world industrialized, there was less and less tolerance for people living that kind of lifestyle. I think you're seeing it now in the Middle East with the Berbers, mm. where you know they've been living that lifestyle for centuries. But as 
nations get more of an idea of themselves and uh, countries want to be strict about their borders, there is sort of like this ideological threat uh, of... yeah. Of some of people that just simply do not observe those borders because their their culture predates mm-hmm. uh, national lines, and you know if if you know anything about Berbers, they're not there to take over your country. They're just there to herd their goats and camels, and you know, and 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 camp in the desert. Like right, that's that that's that's the extent of it. But this poses an ideological existential threat to people trying to draw a line and say, no, this is this is our place and you stay yeah. put. So and, and I think you could look at this as in part why Europe has historically, but especially in the last couple of centuries, been so had so much animosity towards Romani people. Uh, uh, yeah, that's definitely part of it for sure. Yeah, there's a lot going on there, but I think that is also even why there was a, uh, a Nazi nationalist, uh, interest in eradicating them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I think it's, yeah, I do think it's definitely part of that and all the other things coming into play as well, mainly racism and, you know, just yeah. all the other things that come with that. But also I do, I do think with Europe, it does tie back to the feudal system though. Yeah. You know, I mean, even yeah. quite literally law wise that this whole idea that, cause cause really it's, if you are not working for the state or for the kingdom or whatever is in place at the time, you are useless. There needs, yeah. you need to be serving some sort of labor job. It's all, you know, you're a kid. You're, well, I guess even then you'd still be working as a kid. Let's say you're like three years old, you're <laughs> running around, it's fine. But as soon as you're able to hold the shovel, you're doing something. And mm-hmm. that is considered the Their job. Their little it, hands just fit into these machines it, so well. It, and they get caught and it's just, oh my gosh. You know, I was having a, this is just a quick aside, but I was having a conversation because I went to a farmer's market recently and I had this great idea of like, you know, I could totally like sell bread here. And then upon realizing that a mm-hmm. couple hours later, forgetting that FDA rules apply and like, you know, I'd have to <laughs> make sure that's all validated. And I was like, man, you know, I know people complain about big government because I can't open my bread store on a whim, but mm-hmm. I think it is a good, I, you know, it's good. We have these checklists in place and don't just let terrible things like that go down. Anyway, I mean, bread, bread laws go back to like oh yeah romans oh yeah i mean because you know it's easy to you know unclean well i mean but but that that type of stuff happened like i mean they would more than likely form mobs uh yeah but uh yeah you could get in big trouble in rome but it was you know it wasn't without reason people even back then you know to increase their profits would put things like sawdust oh yeah oh yeah absolutely uh yeah. still to kind of do that today but you know on a different <laughs> on a different matter but but i do think and you know and going back to this uh, this idea mm-hmm. right that you have to be working in order to be considered yeah. this type of person i think is it gets very fascinating when you start looking at it in that way like to give an example like this going back mm-hmm. all the way to like 1349 when yeah. you have that the statute of laborers um yeah under like edward the third i believe but then it's like just even in quoting this from it but 
that because many valiant beggars, as long as they may live of begging, do refuse to labor, giving themselves to idleness and vice, and sometimes to theft and other abominations, uh, so that thereby they may be compelled to labor for their necessary living. Um, and this going on to having a lot more to uh, include into that. But, you know, just this idea that if you are not working these type of jobs, if you're not doing whatever is meant of you, be it for your the land that you are, you know, supposed to be tied to or not, you are immediately going to be falling to vice, which is, mm. there's something to it to a certain extent in the urban areas, I feel like. But at the same time, you know, I you know, upon reading this article I was investigating for this, I think it is fascinating that you have a time period, you know, thirteen hundreds, let's just say for mm-hmm. this point, and then I want to jump back to this other thing. Uh, but for the thirteen hundreds, you have a time where you are tied literally to the land and you don't right. have free time. There is no such thing. It is work and then sleep, maybe eating involved in there sometimes, and then going back to work. And that is it. That's your purpose. There's no this this concept of like the transience of wandering just does not exist. The idea of doing nothing is not it's not implied in people. And you know, you you see these kind of outlying moments happen and there's I, I feel like there's that wandering of like, hey, who do you belong to? Or like, hey, where what land are you tied to? Why are you not there? What are you doing out here? But also the fact that the, there's a system in place with the churches or parishes that will be these designated places that people can go to who are you know either begging or in need of help or can't work a job you know that that was not necessarily an option so you know going back that far and then fast forwarding all the way to america post-colonization under english rule and then you know working its way into new york back to what we were talking about with leatherman i think it's interesting hearing what those laws were put in place to do. And one such source I ran into was from this newspaper um, back in the 1800s. Actually, I think it was like a year after it was posted called the Pacific Rural Press, you know, and published this article on August 28th in 1880. This is coming out of San Francisco, California. Um, But essentially, you know, highlighting that this is a good law being in place. And actually by quoting... um, from this that this this is directly from them and then quoting the the uh the law itself by basically saying we noticed that there has just gone into effect in new york state an anti-tramp law which is certainly vigorous and will be likely to drive the nomads from the highways of the empire state this new law provides that every tramp upon conviction as such shall be punished by imprisonment at hard labor in the nearest penitentiary for not more than six months the expense during such imprisonment not to exceed one dollar per week per capita to be paid by the state uh, this certainly does not mean very high board for tramps. One dollar a week would, however, procure what might be called a corrective diet. By this New York law, we have a de- definition of what the term tramp really means, and the word is new and authoritative definition is valuable, that all persons who rove about from place to place begging and all vagrants living without labor or visible means of support who stroll over the country without lawful occasion shall be held to tramps within the meaning of this act. So that's their sort of summary they impose on the law and then continue to talk about it. This is It's also interesting coming from an area that is more focused on farmland and the kind of like what you were talking about, that idea of protecting one's own sort of, you know, carved out area. Basically, in summary, though, I think that it's interesting 
when you have these laws in place that are used as a means of adding, basically removing people's rights, you know, whether it be through just throwing these just vague vagabond laws or vague vagrant laws. Well, it seems like the type of thing that is one of those vague laws, yeah. like loitering. Yeah, exactly. Where you, just see, you just see someone and you're like, I don't want you here. I'm going to call the police and we're going to arrest you for vague, yeah. nonviolent crime. Exactly, yeah. And then you get a fine or you get thrown in jail sometimes for it. It's, it's a way to remove people yeah. from situations and also to keep enforcing yeah. this idea of serving a purpose of sorts you know i because because i think one of the things about the leather man that's so intriguing to me is the idea of just it is kind of the the, you know the forest gump i'm just i just started walking and i never stopped and then he just did it again and again (laughs) and again right because that's kind of the same it's kind of the same thing like i do imagine leather man as like a tom hanks-esque you know uh oh yeah in the the movie yeah yeah it's in the movie that they'll definitely make, you know, I might Tom make Hanks it. I don't is know, definitely I'm interested. Yeah, old Tom Hanks is definitely playing the Leatherman, even though I think if the Leatherman only lived to be fifty, right? Yeah. Although no, this could—he's you know, weathered. The Leatherman had some city miles. Yeah, he is, he was weathered. Uh, definitely looked at. He was wet. The Leatherman was right. weathered. He was the weather. The, weather, man. the leathered, le- the leathered, weathered man. There you go. That's a tongue twister. Yeah. So. I yeah, it, it it could it could happen. I guess I guess the the thing that's interesting about that is, you know, that they made him an exception to this law, but you know, they also really romanticized. Yeah. Him. Uh and, and especially in the northeast of the United States, I feel like there was this feeling very early on that the northeast was Everything was spoken for. You had to go out west to get real freedom. And I can't help but imagine that they saw this wild man as, you know, this this kind of almost inspiring, uh, you know, proto-Jack Kerouac-esque yeah. thing. I mean, they wouldn't have had that conception of it. But, you know, this is late romantic era. Right. Um maybe a little bit past that they're 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 kind of coming into the modern era but also this is rural connecticut and new york they're not exactly (laughs) yeah um you know it's not that there weren't sophisticated people but they weren't you know going to be um uh societal theorists and philosophers right uh but probably seeing something like this really resonated with them. I mean, if if you'll come in here, wow. we've actually got a recreation of one of these Leatherman mm. caves. Just you know, duck duck oh, down yeah, below. Yeah, yeah. Watch your head. It's very it's very low here. It's just one of these many uh, glacial boulders that dot mm. the uh, northeast. Oh yeah, and. You know, you come in, it's basically a lean-to made out of rocks, even. And this is... But there's this very romantic allure of, you know, some guy that's living living out here, just uh, traversing the land. It's one of those things where, you know, Americans will do things to outlaw that or to keep people that they don't know or they don't trust at a distance and yet it is something we so heavily Mm -hmm, romanticize mm -hmm. so even the whole fact that you know he was this uh standoffish 
swarthy was how he was described, swarthy complexion, Hmm. this somewhat exotic thing to all of these people, and that he possibly spoke French. The the speculation, even though there's not really any evidence of this, <laughs> there people came up with this whole story and they would talk about it as if it was uh in fact who he was. Right. They said his name was Jules Bonglet. Okay. And that he was not French Canadian, but actually French. Oh. And that he wanted to marry the daughter. Now get this is the part that is just like this is them writing the movie before there are movies. Right. You know, this is so <laughs> of the era. This would probably be like a pulpy romance okay, novel. Okay. So get so th- this is so funny because it's so on the nose. <laughs> they had the story that Jules was in France and wanted the hand mm. in marriage of the daughter of a wealthy leather. Wow, merchant. you don't say. <laughs> what gave that impression? <laughs> And then he was like, and then, (laughs) and then criminals killed his (laughs) parents. And while he was in his mansion, he saw a piece of leather and said, criminals are superstitious and cowardly. Oh my God. Okay. No, I'm I'm making that part up. The Batman, the leather man. No, he's the leather man. (laughs) Yes. He saw, he saw, he saw a piece of leather flying in his (laughs) mansion. And he was scared, but then he faced his fear. Oh man! No. Why? 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 Oh my God! And his name's Jules. Uh, why do we? Why do we fall, Master Jules? Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, no, I can. I cannot wait to see Christopher Nolan do take on the oh, Leather yes. Man. Um, yes. but yeah. Anyway, so so yes. So the 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 story, the real story, had slash not really the real mm-hmm. story, but the story that they would tell was that he wanted the hand in marriage of the daughter of a wealthy leather merchant in mm. France. And the leather merchant was like, I don't know. You haven't proven yourself. Of course. So he said, let me prove myself. So he takes him on to work at the leather business. Mm. Um, and then there is uh, a panic and the uh, like a market panic. Okay. The price of leather drops and he loses everything and somehow ends up in America. Right. And is just sort of donning leather, you know, uh, out of the fortune and love that he lost. That's a lot of jumps to that point. I feel like we're missing a solid body of the story here. But hey, an an unsubstantiated source said that they found paperwork saying that this was his spec. And let me guess, that paperwork mysteriously burned in the house fire or something like that. (laughs) Because how could we have that? And the envelope was made of Whoa! leather. Whoa! And the house was made of leather mm-hmm. too. Everything, everything is made of leather. That sounds. That sounds like a serial That's killer. That's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so in this story, he he is this like somewhat trying to be an aristocrat or like a merchantile class, and then that doesn't go well. So all of a sudden, he decides to just exist in America, specifically in that area of between New York and Connecticut, and just go in a circle forever? Why? Well, you know, a lot of us have run away from things to New York and Connecticut. That's a story as old as time. All right. I guess that's true. But, like, (laughs) I mean, I guess, I guess, 
well, men will go in a circle before going to therapy. So I don't even think therapy existed yet, but <laughs> this is pre uh, When did, when did uh, Freud so, start doing Around this, this time, I want to say. Maybe okay, a little later. Okay, all right. So if, if he had gotten on it a little earlier. Maybe. I mean, there might be something to this, though. I don't know. It could be me just the romanticization of this again, but there is something yeah, to maybe and, just and it like... it is one of those things where it's like, because we don't know mm, really anything... Mm. It, yeah, all we have is is the story, right? You know. Well, you know, one last aside on that, he was kind of doing land art. I feel like before land art existed a little bit. Oh, right, hmm. maybe. Um, it's a stretch, just like that story. But I mean, anything goes now. <laughs> so, I mean, we can kind of apply this to anything. But you know, I, I mean, kinda, I mean, the, the man makes an entire outfit out of shoe scraps, and that's the thing that you want to saying. consider as outsider art. I didn't say it was outsider art. He's just ahead of his time. He's avant-garde. Mm. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, when when he does die, uh, he's buried in Sparta, New York. Um, interestingly, is mo- exhumed uh, and moved to a different cemetery in 2011. Yeah. Uh, so get this. When they dig him up, they don't find anything except dirt and coffin nails. Weird. Yeah, so they just moved that into the different cemetery. Where's the body? Well, I guess, right? I I guess, do, does a body decompose that quickly? Maybe if it's not... Mm, I guess at that point, it had yeah. been over 100 years. But I guess I feel so, like, but... God, does that does everything deteriorate that quickly? But there I guess, has to you be You know what, the, the coffin was probably made of leather, too. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean... Am yeah. I wrong in saying that there would be something left over that long? Like, I feel like I we fa- feel like there would be. I feel like we we have cemeteries that you know have people in pine boxes, and they still last a little longer than that. Yeah, because I think that would that would have been before cemetery vaults, right? It's not. It's not like. It's not like they. I, you know, I, I just really don't know. I don't know enough about the, yeah. the the soil of Sparta, New York. Tweet at us, please, and let us yes, know. Yes, if you, know, you live in Sparta, yeah. New York, not... Not New Greece. Jersey. Or New Jersey. There's a Sparta, New Jersey, oh. too. Yeah. Really? Yeah, huh. that's why I'm like, it's do a little, you, you, little too close. Do you have a thing with Athens, Georgia? <laughs> I'm not from there, so I'll have to ask my friend. Um, <laughs> maybe. Um. Yeah. Uh. So... You know, there's this story, of course, and, um, you know, so he dies in the late 1800s. The story sort of persists, uh, you know, the, the Leatherman Caves. The legend sort of lives on. In the 1960s, there's a little bit of resurgence and in interest uh, in him, uh, and a lot of this information comes from this guy, Mark Haber, hmm. uh, on a connect a local Connecticut TV station called WTIC TV. Okay. Um, Dick Bertel uh, has a show called Perception. Ooh. Uh, in 1965, and he interviews Mark Haber, who is writing a book on the Leatherman. Uh, huh. And I cannot find his book anywhere online. I would love to have this book in my collection. Yeah, this seems like an amazing book to have. How long is it? I feel like it's got to be only like 200 pages. There, How- There is a book that is out there that is about the Leatherman. It has sort of one of the few photos of him on the cover. Um, but 
I, I don't know. So when they exhumed him in 2011, they wanted to find some remains because they did actually have, it sounds like, some resources they actually wanted to put towards finding out who he was. There was also, and I'm not entirely sure what what this would have meant. Maybe it would have meant something for where he was allowed to be buried. But there was some speculation he might have been at least part Native American. Hmm. Um, since he had a bit of a dark complexion, uh, okay. maybe that maybe that would have meant that he would be entitled to be buried somewhere else. But since there were no remains, they could not do any genetic testing, uh, and you know they just they just reburied him after reburied the dirt and the nails after he was uh, exhumed. Is this the conspiracy we should be going after? Like, is this the thing that feels more precious? Oh, what? You would have preferred that they thought he was like a Rothschild? No, I want to know who he is, kind of. Like, I just, not even that, honestly, not even that. I just want, like, I just want answers on why aren't there remains? Did someone frame it? Did he actually Mm. get buried there? Whoa, okay. Leatherman. So you're a Leatherman truther. Maybe. Show us the photo, Obama. No, don't bring that into it. Don't bring that into it. I feel like it's more, it's like, it's a conspiracy that's kind of innocent in that way where we can get down with it. But I feel like just like every conspiracy, it'll get turned weird. Like it always does. I'm uh, sure. I mean, I I haven't spent that much time uh, in rural Connecticut. I've really only been there for the antiquing. <laughs> that's really all I feel like there's there to do, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never been to Connecticut. I drove through Connecticut, so I'm sorry. I have I've been to an alpaca farm on the border of Connecticut and New York. I've, okay. I've stayed in an Airbnb there. Okay, it's fun. You should yeah. ask them about the Leatherman. Maybe they know next time. Well, she wouldn't have cared about the Leatherman. She's in the wool business. Mmm, that's true. We have to find the wool, the sheep man wool from. Man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know about the sheep man from Haruki Murakami's. Uh, uh, Wild Sheep I do Chase. Not. It does. Yeah, what's well, a great book for those who want to read it? It's probably one of the more wool, like, leather, yeah. linen. Long ago, <laughs> canvas, uh, <laughs> cotton, cotton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think it's just one of these things that, in a way, it doesn't really matter, right? But it kind of matters. Doesn't it? Doesn't you know the the man the man got to live in the woods without getting harassed nice ladies gave him pies and watched him from their windows it's it's it, it's it's fine you know it it doesn't really matter that much i, I think it, I, I don't know though i feel like it kind of does a little bit and not not in a like you know what this this is it's not the seriousness of like world events where everything has to have this incredible strong importance in order to be valid it is just such a bizarre but also incredibly everyday experience that has been highlighted by these communities because it's one of Mm -hmm. these events that I feel like is still in living memory. Well, maybe not living memory, but like, you know, that that, like people would remember from families telling stories about it and passing it down that it's so just kind of, again, it's this everyday thing that I feel like is also a bit special. And I kind of get why, because there is a lot of mystery behind it, but it's all just like unimportant mystery. Like none of it's going to change anything. It's not going to historically alter the timeline, you know, that Leatherman was actually a secret scientist or this like Rothschild or a secret ambassador from France. Like it doesn't matter in that way. It's more that like this man had a whole life has a whole history and we'll never know it. And that stresses me out. 
And that's why I kind of want. I I could see why yeah. people would want to know. Like I I completely understand that. Yeah. But I, I but I do think it's not about this bigger grand thing where it was like a mm-hmm. romantic novel or a movie. I think it's just it's I don't know. It's just that human need to know something. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, because I'm I'm reading Moby Dick right now, and I I think as I mentioned last week, really enjoying it. But one of those one of the things about that that romantic period is looking at a lot of everyday things and trying to tie yeah. it to some grander vision. Right, of right. The world and history and man versus nature. I mean, half the book really is trying to compare every aspect of what they're doing on what is essentially just any other whaling voyage. Because I, I, I haven't really... I've, they've, they've introduced Ahab at this point and his obsession, but so far all they've just been doing is pretty standard whaling stuff. Mm-hmm. But Ishmael is very uh, bent on comparing every little thing to what they, to to what, to like events of the Bible. Mm. Um, you know, to how, how they go after the whales and, um, you know, what they do on board the ship. It's, um, and, and, you know, that's, that's, that's published prior to this. Right. That's already out. Um, but the thing that I'm very interested in about that book is there's a lot of really recognizable ideas about America that are in that and the idea of labor, the idea of um, how much we tie what we do to our professions. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that there was that kind of awareness back then in a time that we don't necessarily think of Americans as being aware of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, there's certainly many different perspectives when it comes to natural resources, but even that, right. I think you could look at it as, you know, from the narrator's, you don't have to be looking at it uh, from the narrator's point of view as, as, as correct, but rather th- this was, th- this was sort of this idea of, uh, of potential, but also limits that were placed on you in this society. And Hmm. it's, I don't know, it's interesting and kind of also relieving to me that those types of things existed over a hundred years ago. Oh yeah. uh, In, in the consciousness. No, I I totally agree. And I do think it is, it it is really interesting in that way that it, it, that these thoughts were still like happening, you know, that that idea was still, occurring and we see it today um and and i do find that reflective a lot i do have a a a question though in the book do they call everybody mr like whatever last name like you see sailors do at that time um or no not really Uh, um i mean that's not necessarily how a lot of the dialogue works in it um Ah. there's okay there's people who have there's like a lot of people that have, you know, sailor nicknames, you know. Right, like uh, like Jimmy Sailhands or uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Ropehead. Um, right. <laughs> uh, Sam Fishhook Sam. <laughs> Why do we call him twice? Well, it's a long story and it involves a fishhook. 
You know, th- okay, that is kind of the the, the <laughs> pace of Moby Dick, where it's like we're going. This is the plot, but now I'm going to spend two chapters telling you about why mm. this character is right. named that. Um, but like you know, Ishmael just I, refers to himself as Ishmael. He might be referred to as Mister Ishmael on occasion, but you know, and he's got his best buddy Queequeg. Okay. I don't, I don't know if anybody refers to him as Mr. Queequeg. Mm. Uh, but, you know, Captain Ahab has his title. There's certain characters right. that will say things like Mr. Cook, even if that's okay. not the person's name. It's more of like referring to uh, his profession. Like the cook, right? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, that's and, and even that And that person, that person in that moment is specifically being an asshole. Ah, huh, okay. Weird, yeah. weird. That's you know, a, okay. th- there's there's people name things like, you know, that th- just have sort of sing, it's like, hi, my name is Flask. I mean, this makes it, it's very interesting. I mean, now that we're talking about this, because I think, like, I, yes. maybe it's, it, <laughs> it might be my thinking of because, like, every time I hear that occur, it's on, like, naval ships, but specifically, like, 18th to 19th century naval ships. In media, or even like in, you know, a mm. very famous one being the Muppets Treasure Island, a classic, arguably better than the source material. But um, I just, I don't know. I always like, I kind of love that idea of like on a ship, it's like you would have to be like Mr. Enter last name. So we would be like, you know, Mr. Semino and Mr. Peters at your service. Mm. I, I like it. It's mm. fun. Like they're not first names. It's all just right, last name right. and title. I mean, I wonder cool. if that's maybe more of a Navy thing. That's what I'm like thinking. A military thing. Yeah, that makes more sense because you wouldn't want to be, you, you know, you're not going to be, hi, my name's Sam Fishhook Sam over here. And no, you got to, there's going to be an addressing. I but, think, I think part of the thing is, and this was, this was sort of part of the pride of the whalers, at least the impression that I get from the book. Right. Is that, there's a lot of people that kind of show up from everywhere on, yeah, this, yeah. on this boat. There's literally like, you know, people from all over the world. There's escaped slaves. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, Queequeg is like a um, a runaway prince from like a ta- like a, a, an island. I, I think he's supposed to be from Tahiti or like uh, just some somewhere in the Pacific. He's. He's like a runaway prince that's gone to, you know, prove himself in the world of the Christians, Hmm. Uh, you know, but a lot of these people probably don't have last names. Right. Yeah. It's a totally different or or even they're they're people running from stuff. Yeah. 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 The people with like last names are like the Quakers that like own the boat. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I, and, and actually, I think in tying it back to what we're talking about with the Leatherman, because this is all going to come circular, I do think it is interesting in reflecting that idea of that time period as well, right? Where there is the formalities that exist, but then are also abandoned in a situation like that, you know, where I guess in the plot, right, survival being yeah. important, but also... I, I don't know. Like, I, I do think that it's interesting you brought it up for the, the sense of that, like, that rem- that tying everything back to historical importance. And again, yeah. I think though, in this kind of being the antithesis to that, it doesn't always need to be either. Like it can just be mm-hmm. this event that happened that is kind of awesome or, or maybe not awesome. It's kind of like, it's, it, it, it is this just like bizarre, but also quaint, but also it's like just mysterious, but in a like pleasant way. 
event that doesn't right. really it didn't affect anybody no one died no besides it him just, i guess it like hints it hints at something else going on in the background exactly of everyone's life exactly it, it breaks through a bit of that everydayness but at the same time you know the leatherman is living his everyday events and we'll never know why he decided to go on this circuit tour of just walking around but i would like to know yeah, I, you know yeah, i mean like a 365 mile journey once a month i mean i i i don't i don't want to sound like one of these people i really don't but i have a feeling back then you know you didn't exactly need a resume to get a job like yeah that's fair you just show up and i'm and there's there's a whole lot wrapped up in our society over whether or not we have a choice as to what we can do with our labor and debatably we we don't really even have that that yeah we especially depending on what geography you're born in to yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't really get a say in in how you how you will contribute to society. Uh, I just I have a feeling like I don't know. I feel like I you you get a little bit of an impression that this was something of a choice. You know? Yeah. This back like in the choice. day. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That it was just I'm going to do this, and there must be a reason for it, or maybe there, but maybe there isn't a reason for it. I know we're just in speculation at this point, and that's not really what we always set out to do. But I mean, I, he was I, he I was think... he was French, and probably maybe didn't speak English. Maybe he just he he really could not find his way in in America. And there's enough prejudice against francophone people in Canada that maybe he wasn't in the right place to have an opportunity. That's fair, yeah. I mean, but then one wonders why not go back up to Yeah, why there? not just go back to Quebec and you know right. have some poutine and Right. Well maybe it's yeah. because of the, the leather watch, factory watch, that he was a watch part the of. The hockey you know? game. Did that exist at that time? Maybe maybe. Yeah, I guess it would have. I don't know how far back I, hockey I have, goes. I have no idea. I I really do not know a ton about Canadian history. I just imagine really? you didn't been playing hockey. I mean, I'm pretty sure. It's been around for a while, I feel like. You didn't study Canadian history in high school? That was one of your electives? No, I'm not a Canadiologist. Mm. You're not a Canadiologist? <laughs> I did, I did really like hockey as a kid, so I feel like I have absorbed a lot of that. I think, but I guess I guess Mighty Ducks, Mighty Ducks 2, and Mighty Ducks 3, I forget the last, the, the title of that, doesn't really count as research. The thing is, so. the Canadians that I know the most about spent pretty much their entire career uh cosplaying as uh as american southerners that mm. being the band i didn't with even think about that the, i guess that's true with the exception of levon helm of course levon right, helm was right, actually right. from arkansas right but right, right. the the other four members of the band were all canadians that just really mm. liked american like country music it tends to be that way i mean i i, I yeah. guess for me it's it's mostly just the cast of letter kenny uh you know mm. learning i wonder though. if this is i wonder if this is one of those things that if anyone's tried to go to canada to try and figure this one out like oh or if this has just stayed pretty isolated mm. well maybe we, you and me need to yeah this more here retrace his steps right we have to search for leatherman 
Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. just like, like that documentary. And right, we tell yeah. we tell we tell Leatherman <laughs> when we find him. Do you know you're the most famous musician in all of South Africa? Right, exactly, exactly. I never actually have seen that, but I always get the title. I never up. have either. I've also heard that documentary is slightly misleading. Oh, but... hmm. maybe they never do find Sugar Man. We'll never mm-hmm. know because I'm probably not going to watch it, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> no, I searching don't for Leatherman. Searching for Leatherman, a Zan Peters and Joe Samina production. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's something here with the eight, you know, other movies we have planned eventually. But I, no, I, I do think. I don't know. We might maybe if we have our spare vacation time in the and and the state of Connecticut and New York want to give some funding, we can figure this out. We we could run ads for Connecticut at the museum. We definitely could and and fund it. I feel like I I think we could definitely you know feature Connecticut. Connecticut, it's a great place to go. Uh, I got Hartford. It's fun. Uh, Trin- Trinity College. Trinity College. Go Huskies. Antiquing. Antiquing. Very cool. Make sure you make sure you wear high socks and tuck your tuck your pants into your socks when you go hiking. Tuck your pants into the socks when you go hiking because you do not want ticks. That's absolutely true. Yeah, yes. I mean. I, I, I don't know. I think it's like it could definitely be a really good History Channel show. God knows they need something that's not conspiracy related. Although mm. they probably would spin this and be like, but what if the Leatherman was actually an alien? Yeah. Oh my God. Could you uh, imagine if they run out of material? I un- unfortunately can. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, the Leatherman was actually Elvis. Whoa. Did you hear about that new movie? Was that good? Um, I've heard mixed reviews. I just kind of get the feeling no one cared. Yeah, I, everybody was seeing Minions too. I guess. I guess so. Yeah, I I don't know because like I don't I don't hate Elvis. I'm there's some of his music I do like. Uh, it, I did not feel compelled to see it mainly because I have been done really dirty by rock biopics. Yeah. I really and just, I just I kind of don't like them in general as a genre. I think they're really. I, I don't know. I, di- I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't say anything. Fair but enough. I just I I feel like I don't like musician biopics in general. Because yeah, I feel that it's always you'll never make it. And then they ma- and, we know they made it. Yeah, you know? but we know they made it. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like the. You know, there's I don't know. I was listening to another thing that was talking about um, uh, like whether or not Americans actually like an underdog story. And we kind of we say that we do. And yet we like things where we know it turned out okay for them. You know? Yeah, that's true. You know, we'll watch a movie about someone, but it's like it's almost they really like making those biopics where it's like, yeah, this is a name you've heard of before because you know they won in the end. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also not very interested in seeing it. Yeah. But uh, maybe we'll have to talk about Elvis at some point. Maybe we will. Yeah, he's kind of a creepy guy, but we'll, we'll have to. Interesting, we'll have to interesting it. story, though. Oh, yeah, that is true. Mm-hmm, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, wow. I think this has been a very interesting, you know, conversation and deep dive into the 
the true story of the Leatherman, which really indicates that we don't This is maybe the know. most that anyone in our age bracket has ever talked about the Leatherman. Probably. Yeah, yes. maybe this is what we'll become known for. Uh, this will be the big break. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking of big breaks, what do you have going on, Joe? Well, uh, I have recently released my album Biomes, which is available on streaming services. You know, it's on Apple Music, Spotify. Uh, I have it on Bandcamp for f- available for free to download. So uh, go ahead and check that out. It's been a big project of mine that I'm working on. I also yes, have yes. Uh, an ex- a solo exhibition up at the St. Kate the Arts Hotel located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at in their airspace. Uh, and that exhibition is titled Ephemeral Existence When Light Takes Form. So if you're in the area, uh, please go check it out. I would greatly appreciate it. And there's also an upcoming show that I'm a part of also in Milwaukee at Real Tinsel. And it's entitled Teleportal Presents Movement. And that's September 9th to October 8th, I believe. So if you're, again, around that area at that time, uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, those are pretty much the main things happening on my end. Lots of other projects and, you know, show opportunities happening as well. But in the meantime, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Zan, what do you have going on? Um, so uh, I had my first show at... 82 barbecue uh which was a lot of fun thank you again to those guys for letting me play Mm. uh i should have some other stuff to announce music wise coming up soon uh other than that just keep your eye out uh for the uh the dates that i should be releasing soon uh regarding the workshop i'm going to be teaching in brasstown north carolina next summer um As always, I've got uh, work listed at my website, zanpeters.com. You can go check that out. Stay up to date with what's going on. Um, Hopefully, I'll have some other stuff uh, to announce as well. Just honestly been super busy getting uh, settled into my new job and (laughs) uh, new situation here. Um, But yeah, really looking forward to getting to make art again and getting to to show it again soon nice Nice. yeah yeah and hopefully uh also some musical stuff that Mm. uh that uh joe and i can announce in the not too distant future soon very excited about it if you'd like to follow the museum after hours we are at uncanny museum on twitter and at uncanny county museum on instagram uh, if you'd like to find me, I am at Xanosaurus on Instagram and also at Zanfred E. Man on TikTok. Uh, I've got a fun little project on there uh, mm. where I've got a little antique pottery ID book that I got recently, actually in yes. Connecticut. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, so if you have any antique British pottery uh, from kind of the era that we just discussed today it's all connected Uh, send me the logo and we can identify it let's do it uh, in in this little book so yeah uh i should hopefully be active on there soon uh now that i've also got uh my art uh going again uh where can people find you joe you can find me at at josemino art on instagram or my website josemino i kind of fix some stuff and have some new things on there so uh feel free to go check that out 
Yes, please do. And please uh, go give Joe's album a listen. It is really fantastic. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, and uh, if uh, you'd be so kind, we'd love a rating and review on your podcatcher of mm. choice. Uh, and we will see you next time from the Uncanny County Museum. I have been Sam Peters. And I've been Joe Savino. And I'm the Leather Man. Bye. Au revoir.